Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. And I am your host, Steve Fredland, with part six of Rebuilding uh, My Strategy. And today I'm going to continue to look at the concept of Game Theory Optimal, or GTO. And I want to start digging in even deeper into what it means for opening pre-flop. And as my rebuilding process continues, I've gone back and forth on a few things and I'm aggregating my own research. I'm aggregating the input from other people who are helping me along the journey. And hopefully this is help, helping you as well. I've gotten some really good feedback from people. Uh, I know this isn't just like an instructional thing, me telling you all of the answers. You're really getting a front row seat at my own rebuilding, my own wrestling, my own struggles. And with that, I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit as I as I kind of go down one path and then I have to come, come back as I discover new things. Uh, but where I'm at right now is I guess I'm becoming increasingly aware that my strategy is going to have three major components. First of all is a solid understanding and the ability to apply GTO play, GTO theory into my game. So I want to have a GTO strong uh, approach. Secondly, I want to be able to recognize players who are playing suboptimally. Uh, I want to recognize what they're doing wrong. I want to develop effective counter strategies so that I can exploit them. And then I need to uh, figure out how do I balance the value that I can gain from exploiting them with the value that I could potentially lose from becoming exploitable myself. So then thirdly, it brings me to this place of understanding when I should use GTO, when I should use exploitive, uh, whether it's based on a certain table dynamic, a stage of a tournament, stack size, whatever. Uh, I need to understand how to apply both and what situations uh, in which to apply those, when to shift gears, all of those things. But as part of that, I do need to have a solid understanding of GTO, at least for the way that I'm wired, the way that I'm thinking about my strategy. I want to have that. Uh, whether I'm using exploitive or not, I think that's going to serve as the foundation for me to really understand what even is exploitive play. Um, if I think somebody's making a mistake, well, based on what? What's the uh, what's the benchmark upon which I measure if they're making mistakes, if they're playing too many hands, holding too much? And I think that's, for me, where GTO is going to come into play and serve as that the benchmark upon which to judge uh, other people's play. So uh, I'm going to continue my discussion today about GTO. Uh, and I do want to be clear at this point that I don't think I'm going to be fully a GTO player, especially as I continue to grind the stakes that I'm grinding, uh, but I am going to keep working on uh, understanding this GTO piece. Plus for me, it's just, it's kind of super interesting. So uh, today I'm going to continue on in uh, thinking about GTO pre-flop play. Um, before I do that, just a couple of quick things. Uh, first of all, thanks to Steve Webb, who is our latest Patreon subscriber. Steve-O, appreciate that so much. Uh, if you want to support what I'm doing, a lot of this content is free. Obviously, it's all free so far. Um, and we want to continue to expand it, build some other relationships, maybe get you guys some value and some discounts, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe move to some video. I don't know down the road, but uh, it all takes funding to do those sorts of things. Uh, so if you're willing to help me out, uh, patreon.com slash recpoker uh, will allow you to support what I'm doing for as little as a dollar a month. So please check that out. appreciate any support that you're willing to give. Uh, and also I want to thank Running Aces, who is our official sponsor. And as I've been mentioning, they're in the, the middle of their Midwest uh, Poker Classic with a lot of events going on. Culminates next weekend, the weekend of the 30th. 
with their $500 main event, $100,000 guaranteed prize pool, and a number of really cool events leading up to that. Uh, depending on when I air this, they'll still have uh, the tag team event, the seniors event, uh, the six max, uh, a number of things going on uh, during this two-week stretch. And frankly, for me at Running Aces, uh, I should probably get there more often, but it's been a fun couple of weeks. Uh, I've been, I was player of the week last week, and right now I'm leading in points uh, for this week as well. So that comes with some nice bonuses, but I can tell that my game's continuing to improve, and I'm seeing some good results at Running Aces. So thanks to you guys there for supporting the podcast. Now, getting back into it, um, as I was researching GTO, I kept finding... Uh, push-shove charts for small stacks, uh, even have an app that will tell you uh, which hands to shove with number of big blinds in your position. I found a lot of stuff about that, a lot of stuff about post-flop information, but I was struggling to find information on pre-flop GTO play outside of, I guess, some 6-max stuff. So I've watched a number of videos, and one of them that I was watching, someone mentioned that the decision trees needed for pre-flop uh, results in calculations are 10 to 20,000 times bigger than post-flop, uh, which is why it's much more difficult to solve this pre-flop just based on uh, the sheer magnitude of the problem when you think about all the decision trees. And I've been involved, uh, I'm an actuary by trade, so I've done a lot of stochastic simulations. Uh, I've done a lot of that for my capital markets hedging experience as well. So I understand the complexity that's involved in, in projecting all these decision trees um, as well. So as I, as I got that information, I just sort of assumed there wasn't a lot of good preflop stuff out there yet. Even though a lot of great pros have their preflop ranges there, I wasn't necessarily associating those with being solved from a GTO perspective. I was thinking about those as uh, the research they had done based on their actual ROI uh, on different hands from different positions, which I think is somewhat true. But uh, as I've now learned, there actually is more um, more pre-flop GTO stuff that's out there, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of that uh, when I posed the question. So you're going to hear that uh, in the responses here uh, as well. So um, when I, so the question that I ultimately asked for feedback on is why is your default preflop range your default preflop range? In other words, did you just build them from your experience with certain hands over time? Do you have your own research database of what is profitably uh, played by position and stack depth? Have you relied on others' research and insights? If so, who have you used? Uh, what are the key factors in developing your preflop range if it's not solved from a GTO perspective? Um, and also I mentioned that some experts have a tight range and others have a loose range. And why did you choose one or the other? So just tried to give some, some information for people to think about. Uh, the downside here is that I didn't give people much lead time on this question. Um, pretty much because it's harder right now to plan where my questioning is going to go week to week. Uh, I'm really in the throes of figuring it out right now myself. So, um, I'm going to share the input I did receive, then come back and share the results of some of the additional research that I did uh, and where I'm landing at the end of the week. But I didn't have a chance to get a lot of feedback, primarily because I didn't give people a lot of time uh, because I'm still uh, kind of figuring this out real time. But uh, you're going to hear from uh, Jonathan Little, and you'll also hear from Rob Washam, who's a recreational player. And then I've also got some notes from Mike Inglehopt, who's a recreational player that's uh, pretty big into GTO. So we'll hear from all of them, and then uh, I'll come back and share some other thoughts as well. So here is Jonathan Little. 
Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, and today's question is essentially, how do you decide on your default preflop ranges? Okay, what it amounts to is that um, currently in today's game, there's a program called Munker Solver, which allows you to solve for multi-way situations and no limit hold'em. A lot of people have only heard of Pio Solver or Pio Solver, depending on how you say it because that is the one that has been around the longest, but there's a program that's been out for, I think, two years now called Munker Solver that is essentially like PO Solver, except for it allows you to calculate multi-way situations. Um, I'm actually in the process of helping clean up a book called Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo, and he has done tons and tons and tons of simulations and has essentially solved No Limit Hold'em for all of the various stack sizes. Now, of course, Game Theory Optimal Play Definitely leaves money on the table against other good players, but um, preflop strategies have pretty much been solved. Um, Steve mentioned how he was unable to find anything based on preflop and that all of the things that he has found were dealing with push-fold situations, but that is definitely not the case. Um, just because you have not been able to find something does not mean that it does not exist. You will find, though, that most of the cutting-edge poker theory and... Um, strategies are being solved by backing sites. Those are essentially companies that can pile tons and tons of resources into solving specific questions. And, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources to develop these things. I mean, I know uh, Michael has rented servers that cost tons and tons of money each month. And, you know, he's very dedicated to solving the game. And, and he has. So uh, just because something is not easily available for cheap on the internet or for free on the internet does not mean that it does not exist. So anyway, um, that is a way that you can determine preflop strategies. Also, there's a program called Poker Snowy that has played tons and tons of hands against itself. It does not claim to be game theory optimal, but it does have a very, very strong strategy. And um, those uh, solutions are, are essentially available for cheap or free through their, um, through their program. You can sign up for that. I think you can get a bit of a discount if you go to jonathanlittlepoker.com slash pokersnowy. So you can check that out too. Um, there was a book written by Hunter Kitchy called... Uh, I don't have it on, in front of me right now. Anyway, you can find it. It's published through D&B Poker. And he goes through extensive preflop situations where he outlines exactly what Poker Snowy suggests you to do or very close to it. Um, when you're playing 100 big blinds deep. So, I mean, that's that's all right there and very clear. You're going to find that for the most part, game theory optimal strategies are pretty tight and aggressive from the earlier positions and more loose and aggressive from cutoff and big blind. So, what do I do? Well, I essentially look at what Poker Snowy suggests and then I loosen it up a decent amount. So you may ask, why do you loosen it up? It's because most people fold too often. Now, if you're playing against players who are very, very loose and aggressive, you should definitely um, tighten up your ranges a bit because you're going to have to defend them a little bit more. I actually saw this recently in the Poker Masters, which is a very high buy-in tournament series. If you look, there are a lot of situations where the button just folds. And I remember one time the button just folded ace-2 offsuit. And you may think, why in the world would you fold ace-2 offsuit on the button? Well, if you look at the Game Theory Optimal Solutions for these spots, ace-2 offsuit is on the cusp of playability. It's not a premium hand. So if you're not, if, if a hand is on the cusp of playability and the players in the blinds are loose and aggressive and good, world-class, right, as was the case in the Poker Masters, you should probably just fold these hands. And sure enough, this other world-class player just open-folded the ace-2 offsuit on the button. And it's good. I think a lot of people think they have to play every single 
reasonable hand that comes our way, but that's definitely not the case. Um, so anyway, tight aggressive poker from early position, a little bit looser from late position, but at the same time, understand that the hands that are barely playable are often, they become playable as the players yet to act become weaker and tighter. So there are many spots where if you're playing a very soft term, you may raise very close to 100% of hands on the button. But if you're playing against very, very good, strong players, you may raise 35% of hands on the button, and that's that's okay. Be very, very careful developing preflop raising ranges and never adjusting from them. Doing that is a gigantic mistake. Um, but as your opponents do become better and better, you should play closer to game theory optimal strategies. And if you know where to look, you can find these things. Um, but like, like I said, it's kind of tough because those resources are often not publicly available. And, um, you know, information gets free eventually. But whenever new information is found initially, it's often at a very high cost. Currently today, it's the cost of running lots of servers and running, spending a lot of time running simulations. But eventually that knowledge gets out. There are a few sites out there that are now selling GTO packages where it essentially says this is what you do in these spots. And they, they charge a decent amount for these things because it costs a lot of money to generate. So anyway, that's it. Um, play well. Good luck in your games, and I'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Let's turn our attention to a really sweet dude, uh, kind of a really cool dude, uh, Rob Washam, uh, who I've gotten to become friends with. He's a recreational player, and let's hear what Rob has to say. This is Rob Washam from the Rec Poker Podcast. Question this week is, how did I decide on my default preflop range? This is an interesting question because as I considered it, I realized that I never consciously sat down and formally developed a preflop range. As I think about the ranges that I play, it is mostly based on feel. My chip stack, my position, and the type of players that act behind me inform my decision to play or not to play a specific hand. I definitely have a range as there are hands that I will never play, hands that I will always play, and hands that I will sometimes play. My preflop range has evolved over the years. When I first began playing, my range was very tight. Back in the late 90s, tight was right, as players were not savvy enough to think in terms of ranges. As the poker community as a whole started getting more sophisticated, it became important to have a range that gives you board coverage. If you only opened with premium hands, you would be exploitable by thinking players. As such, my opening range has expanded to include suited connectors and other less than premium hands that can connect well with the board. This question also prompted me to start researching methods of developing a preflop range. I came across a tool developed by Tommy Angelo, which he presented in his book, The Elements of Poker. I will not go into detail, but the gist of it is you ask yourself, what is the worst hand you will open by position? Start with pocket pairs, then ace-x hands, king-x hands, and so forth. What you end up with is a documented set of starting hands by position. Going forward, I will be spending some time developing a default preflop range. Thanks for the question, and good luck developing your own default preflop range. See you next time. All right. Thanks, Rob, so much. Uh, Mike Engelhop submitted this. We emailed back and forth a bit on this. And Mike said he has Hunter Sitchie's Advanced Concepts and No Limit Hold'em book and also has Poker Snowy Software, both of which have GTO preflop ranges for opening and folding. 
I also think some of the free software like Flopzilla and Card Runners EV may come with preloaded GTO ranges by table position. So, uh, so Mike and I chatted a little bit about that back and forth. Um, uh, he shared some of the uh, preflop ranges with me that I was able to look at. Um, I noticed that on the uh, the information of the book, uh, Hunter had three and a half X opens. And so I asked about that, and Mike says that he's primarily writing from a cash game standpoint, and he emphasizes the larger open size, which I see most cash games, cash game coaches recommending. And so I asked if there's different ranges for different size openings, and Mike said his understanding is that uh, the raise size and the stack depth changes the ranges. So um, in a tournament where you may open smaller, that should correlate to wider opening ranges. And also, if you have larger stacks, uh, that should uh, translate to larger ranges as well. And um, I also noted and asked Mike about um, the the fact that the opening ranges, at least what he sent me, were not binary, at least for the most part. There were, there were a number of hands which were open some of the time and fold some of the time. And so Mike did confirm that that's true. With some of those hands, they were kind of like, you know, maybe you raise 29% of the time and you fold 71% of the time or it's 50-50 or something like that. So so Hunter, at least, is using a non-binary range, at least for some of the hands, uh, to be sometimes a raise, sometimes a fold. So as I, I guess, as I look over all of this information, I'm continuing to investigate it. I'll share more. Uh, as as we go forward, but um, where does this leave me right now? Uh, what's the next question to ask to figure some of this out? I guess where I'm at right now is my next step is to do more specific research. Now that I know I'm really looking at uh, GTO preflop, really do a lot of research, a lot of recommendations. Uh, some of the recommendations that we got from from this episode are going to be great as I dig in, and then really use that to develop my own preflop range. Uh, so I'm going to do that, really articulate that the best that I can uh, based on all of the feedback. And then I'm going to put that preflop range out there for people to look at. So I'm hoping that uh, the people that normally are part of this podcast will respond. I'm going to just be transparent say, here is where I'm landing with my preflop range. Critique it. What do you think? What works? What doesn't work? Get some feedback and then fine tune that bad boy uh, to something that I feel good about that I feel like manages... Uh, well with my strengths, but get that locked in. At least feel like I'm, you know, 90, 95% confident in my preflop ranges. And then once I've done that, then I can move to some post-flop GTO strategies. And I'm, I'm excited about all of this stuff. I'm continuing to take steps in all of these directions and actually reach out to a number of people that have done a lot of work on this. And I am currently working uh, to try to develop some partnerships with a few training sites uh, so I can bring you some more robust information. I'm currently in conversations with Matt Berkey with the Solve for Why Academy, uh, Deuces Cracked, the GTO Range Builder, and MunkerGuide.com. Um, I've reached out to a few others waiting to hear back. A couple aren't really interested, but um, I'm continuing to sort of cast that net widely. So if you have people or connections that you think would be great for me to uh, reach out to and you have a personal connection, uh, please, uh, I would love to uh, continue to build that network of expertise to try to um, bring you the best content that I possibly can. So with some of that, depending on how the partnership looks, I may need to limit uh, some of that to Patreon subscribers. 
Uh, but I'm certainly going to share at least high-level summaries of what I find publicly through the podcast and potentially all of it. Uh, but just want to put that note out there that there may be some content coming uh, that's only available for those who are uh, financially supporting the podcast. Uh, so we'll just see where this goes. We'll keep walking uh, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying the process of learning and hopefully communicating with you uh, in a way that's helpful. Uh, I always love feedback. So if this is working, let me know. If it's not working, let me know. What would be better? Uh, feel free to do that through Facebook. We have a group, Rec Poker. You can do it on Twitter, at Rec Poker. Or feel free to email me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com. So with that, thanks to Running Aces, great weekly tournaments, great staff. Thanks to the Recs and the pros who are giving feedback, specifically this week, Jonathan, Rob, and Mike. I want to encourage you to like, comment, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, tell other people. Um, uh, recently, we had a, a great uh, five-star rating and review from somebody going by DuckButt2. <laughs> so thanks for that. But the review says, after a few current episodes, I'm looking forward to checking out the archives. So thanks for that. I uh, hope you enjoy the older episodes as well. If you want to financially support what I'm doing here, I would love that so much. Patreon.com slash RecPoker. If you want patches and if you'll wear them, just let me know. I'll send them out to you for free. I uh, just had another request come in this week. And uh, if you want to rock a hat, shirt, sweatshirts, uh, go to FlopTheWorld.com slash RecPoker and you can get some merchandise out there. So with that, thanks everybody. I uh, hope you're enjoying the journey right along with me. Uh, let me know what I can do to make the experience even better and have a good week.